0: You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. Go to riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here is today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Tyen.
1: I just want to let your parents know and everybody know in advance that today's message is about biblical marriage and alternative lifestyles. And I'm not going to say anything that hasn't ever been said before. And I'm not going to be reckless in what I say but what's said in the Bible and what's said in our culture needs to be heard by kids that are being bombarded by this. I might say this in the message too, but uh, a recent PBS popular kids' television show just showed two of the male teachers marrying, or two men marrying each other with great celebration, and this is constantly being put in our kids' faces. So I want to take the position that society might call one thing marriage, but the church calls uh, what God has ordained biblical marriage. Christian marriage is different from what society says. And so that's what I'm going to show, uh, talk about. And I've got uh, a couple of videos that talk about that in a good way. Anyway, so if your kid's you want to send your older kids to kids church you can do that you should really if you haven't talked to your kids about this you should so pray for me as i present it because i want to make sure that everything that i say is is solid and not careless because i know there's a lot of people that even in the church you know get all emotional and disagree over certain things i know that there's a lot of churches that really want to grow and keep their thousands of people or tens of thousands of people so they won't even preach this message all right so kids can have the kids church and after they are out the door watch a brief video introduction about marriage marriage we actually made our son watch the princess bride just so he could be culturally relevant he's like i have to watch this i'm like yeah there are sword fights and stuff he's like okay in the beginning
2: god created man and from his rib bone which is connected to his arm uh, never mind (laughs) from the rib bone god created woman Man saw her and said, how about them apples? Woman said, this apple? Then grabbed one from the tree and ate it. And crunch, just that fast, the honeymoon was over. So much for a first date. Dating's a walk in the park compared to marriage. While marriage does offer its walk through the park too, sometimes it seems more like a walk through a minefield. Ever since that bite into the apple, sin entered the world and man and woman, well, they've had a rib, a a bone to pick with each other. You left the toilet seat up again. Well, you left me no room in the garage to park my car. Well, you leave the trash
0: piling up until we can't even see the house. Have you seen the house? I thought your address was at the mall. I don't know. Is your address I can't talk to my wife because I'm online all the time.com?
2: No, it's husband at nigging
0: wife, hashtag I'm not listening to you. Then listen to your socks because they're screaming to be picked up and put in the laundry. No, that's the baby
2: crying for you to finally pick her up. <laughs> oh. Love and marriage Well, sort of Marriage is a commitment to love And love Never gives up
0: Cares more for others than for self
2: Doesn't want what it doesn't have
0: Doesn't strut
2: Doesn't have a swelled head
0: Doesn't force itself on others
2: Isn't always me first
0: Doesn't fly off the handle
2: Doesn't keep score of the sins of others
0: Doesn't revel when others grovel
2: Takes pleasure in the flowering of truth
0: Puts up with anything.
2: Trusts God. Always.
0: Always looks for the best.
2: Never looks back.
0: But keeps going to the end.
2: If you have all these down, then you have love. If not, don't beat yourself up. Only God exhibits perfect love. And we need His perfect love in our imperfect world. A world that debates one man, one woman, all the while forgetting the biggest one of them all. One Lifetime. Marriage is a commitment for a lifetime that is founded on vows like For better, for worse.
0: In sickness and in health.
2: For richer, for poorer.
0: Till death do us part.
2: So regardless if you've had a great start, slow start, or second start, your goal is to cross that finish line together. And when you feel hopeless, remember You've got a great coach who was there from the beginning. He designed the course and is there every step of the way, waiting for you at the finish line. So stretch, lace them up, and start
1: running together. All right, so valuing biblical marriage and singleness. So in our culture, our Supreme Court has made it possible for marriage to be redefined. So God defined marriage when he brought Adam and Eve together between one man and one woman. And so our society says, you know, marriage can be between a man and a man or a woman and a woman. And who knows what the future ramifications of that are. But we as Christians need to look at what the Bible says and love the people around us. So when we have people that we work with or family members or neighbors or um, those people around that don't follow God's plan and they're in marriage... Um, I qualify that in my head as, well, you know, that's what society calls marriage, but it's not biblical marriage. It's not um, the marriage that God instituted, God ordained. So me as a pastor, I tell people I promote biblical marriage. I do biblical marriages. Uh, I don't do the others. So that's not anything on the menu. That's not what we as a church stand for. Um, Our forefathers didn't stand for that. Uh, There are a ton of uh, churches just like us that are standing for biblical values. But the interesting thing is is that we live in this post-Christian world and we have to figure out how we're going to deal with it. What is the the plan that Jesus has for the world? That's to seek and to save those who are are lost. That's to show his love to others. And I think that sometimes we stumble on the idea that uh, because we want to be nice, that when we love others, our love has to lead to permissiveness and compromise. So uh, we're told you know, that we need to uh, be accepting and endorse whatever someone else is doing, even if we don't ing- agree with it, to uh, promote that, to be excited about that. But there's nowhere in the Bible that says that. And actually, we have enjoyed a time as a nation where Christianity was kind of the norm, and now it's becoming more and more that it's not the norm. And that was similar to the way that it was in 1 Corinthians when Paul was writing to the Corinthians, so uh, we've enjoyed that period in the past, and if we don't have it in the future, we still need to engage the culture. We still need to reach out to people in love. We still need to know that the gospel can change people, and no matter what situation they're in in life, that we need to reach out to them in love. So I really like this How to Find God New Testament. We give them out. We encourage you to give them out, and there's tons of notes in this How to Find God New Testament, and every now and then I take your note sheet, And I print out what it says. All right, so there's this section that's on the back page. And it says, does God approve of alternative alternative lifestyles? So it mentions homosexuality, living together, promiscuity, um, and all these different things. And so this is God's standard. This is what God's word says. If you want to pursue godliness and do what's right in God's eyes, then you will look at what God says. Uh, We know that in the church and outside the church, there's people that are in all of these different situations. And uh, there's people that are living together that aren't married. Um, Actually, uh, outside of avoiding every appearance of evil, if you are living together but not intimate with each other, that could be okay, but it just seems strange. And it seems like there's a lot of temptation there to not um, follow God's will for that. But that's why the church is against Living together is because, one, you're supposed to avoid every appearance of evil, and two, you're not supposed to be intimate before you're married. And me as a pastor, when I do pre-marriage counseling, one of the questions we ask is, you know, are you being intimate together? Because we want to make sure that you're in love, so you're committed to each other for a lifetime, and not just enjoying each other's company in such a way that you're feeding off of each other. So, and it's a great thing to wait until after the marriage ceremony to uh, be intimate so, anyway, so that's on here. And if you fall on this list somewhere, you're welcome to worship with us. You're welcome to come here. But I think that as you grow in your relationship with Christ, you will want to do the Lord's will. And the Holy Spirit will convict you of certain things. And then you'll start to change and want to change. And you'll have a reason for it. You'll say, you know, God's word says, and therefore I need to change this. So. Real quick, in First Corinthians chapter 7, actually in First Corinthians chapter 6, it starts talking about the need for marriage, and then in First Corinthians chapter 7, it's kind of like the marriage handbook, and the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes on marriage. And when we look at the Bible, we have to look at, okay, what in the Old Testament was for all time, and what was just for their time, what does God want us to do with that? And then when we look at the New Testament, do we trust that what Paul was writing was from the Holy Spirit. Um, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So therefore, uh, we believe that what Paul wrote, he did under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, uh, when Jesus speaks, when Paul speaks, when Peter speaks in Scripture, that we should rightly apply that to our lives. So 1 Corinthians 7, I use the New Living Translation because I found it was the clearest on this. Uh, Interspersed in this is also the New International Version. But Paul writes, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Now regarding the question you asked in your letter, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. So God had a plan, and here when Paul writes about marriage, he's writing that this is a good thing. There are people in this culture that said, you know, marriage is full of trouble, uh, marriage can be a distraction from doing God's will, maybe we should just do away with marriage, and Paul is saying, now, if you can't uh, go through life without needing somebody in your life, if you're a man who definitely needs a woman, or if you're a woman who definitely needs a man, then you should marry. And then in a minute here, he'll say, but it's better if you don't. So, uh, And if you are, you should, you should supply what each other needs, fulfill each other's needs, and it makes for a strong marriage. That doesn't mean that if there's some kind of dysfunction or problem or whatever your marriage is over, it just means that you should be into each other, that you should provide for each other, that you should care for each other, that you should be exclusive, just the husband and the wife and nobody else for a lifetime. I keep reading these people that say marriage is forever. It's like, no, it's not. Marriage isn't forever. I mean, I'll probably be the best friend with my wife for the rest of my eternity, but... When you die in this life, your marriage covenant is over. So you can, I'm sure, you know, be friends or whatever at eternity, but you are making a commitment in a standard marriage ceremony to be faithful to each other until death do you part. So if your husband or wife dies, then um, you are, if you want, you're free to remarry again, though it might be better if you don't. Anyway, 1 Corinthians 7, 4. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other unless you both agree to refrain from intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish everyone were single just as I am, yet each person has a special gift from God, one of one kind or another. So Paul is promoting being single, being able to do more of God's will, being able to have more time and to be less distracted. And so that is uh, what Paul has to say about marriage and I only have a half an hour so I can't cover the whole marriage manual. There is so many things that could be talked about in marriage. If you look on the front of your bulletin under additional resources, I've just listed a few. I love Family Life Ministries, which is part of Campus Crusade. But If you go to familylife.com, there's tons of articles about marriage and parenting and grandparenting and adopting. Really great. Focus on the family has always had good resources for marriage and um, marriage and family. And then the Christian and Missionary Alliance that we're a part of has a few statements that they have. The human sexuality one is about to be revised and voted on in a meeting next month. And then there's one about uh, perspectives on divorce. Um, and when we have these standards for marriage, there is the ideal, and then there's realistically what we're going through as broken people, as messed up people. And some people's marriages are a mess. Some people have been divorced and remarried. Some people look at the what the Bible says about divorce and remarriage and go, oh, well, I guess we didn't do that right. But they can still, you know pray about that repent of that move forward in the relationship that they have for the husband and the wife so the man and the woman so i've done a ton of research over you know the last couple of weeks on this there's this great app i found for my phone i've used it for a while it's called pocket whenever you find a good article and you don't want to lose it you can just send it to pocket and now i just realized that pocket will actually read those articles to you which is pretty awesome but i've just been saving a lot of our a lot of articles And I found a really interesting one from John Piper about alternative marriage. And so if two men or two women are married, what should they do if they commit their lives to Christ and realize that that wasn't God's will and that wasn't God's plan for marriage, what did they do? And John Piper made it very clear that it wasn't a biblical marriage, that they're not really bound, that they should come out of that relationship and they should live in a Christ-honoring way, which means that the marriage would be dissolved. But the question that I had to ask myself is why would anybody want to be married like that anyway? I mean, why do we want to be married? I wanted to be married truthfully because one, I wanted to have somebody there for me, which somebody in an alternative lifestyle would want to also. I wanted to have kids and I was told that I wasn't supposed to be intimate until I was married. So that was a bit of a motivator to get married when I was young. And I literally heard John MacArthur on the radio as I was dating my wife talk about how it's better to have short engagements so you can get married sooner. And I'm like, that sounds like God's will to me. And I think we, were, we knew each other for three months before we got married. And it's been 31 years, almost 32 years. And it's been good. But people in alternative marriages do it because they want to show their love and care for someone. They want to enjoy the survivor benefits, the hospital visitation, the legal rights, uh, the um, wealth transfer. Uh, There's just all sorts of reasons that people would do that. So we need to realize that Christians live a certain set of values found in the Bible and non-Christians don't. So non-Christians are living what they know or don't know. Non-Christians are doing what they think is best. Non-Christians are led by their feelings and sympathy. A lot of Christians are led by their sympathies too, and then they compromise. And they say, well, you know, that was God's word, and, you know, I see that it was between a man and a woman and stuff, but I just, you know, I know this person, and I, they're really nice, and I really like them, and, oh, they're so funny, or whatever. And then they just, they compromise. But we can still show them love and still show them care, but yet still have our standards and ideals and say, well, you know, God's word really says, um, and this is the way that God intended it. Many times people will, in the course of their life, as they make bad choices, uh, start to experience remorse, regret, difficulty, a lack of God's blessing in their life, and they'll be asking, what, what's wrong here? What's, what's going on? And then if somebody that they trust and care about that has a re, have, they have a relationship with comes along and says, well, this is, this is what God's Word says, and they're like, well, you know, maybe, maybe I need to get some help there. Society is trying to take away our ability to actually give people help They're trying to take away the right for counselors to counsel people uh, into a a right relationship. They're trying to do all of these things. And it's very strange that such a small percentage of the population is able to uh, sway uh, votes and uh, get all of these legal rights that can lead us into a lot of difficulty and a lot of trouble. And again, there's so many things that are being written about this and talked about. Uh, The Canadians have dealt with this for many more years than we have. And one thing that they really, in the churches up there, say is you've got to keep showing love and caring for these people. Even if you don't agree with them, you want to reach out in Christ's love. That's the most important thing. So, just as a quick review, and I'll show you a couple of videos. Uh, number one, biblical marriage is ordained by God. So, it was God's idea in the very beginning, like we saw in the intro video. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And Genetically, there are differences between men and women. Uh, There are uh, personality differences, characteristics that just make them a complete team. Uh, The masculinity, the femininity, uh, coming together, being a great team. And as our society seeks to change uh, uh, gender identity and everything, not only is it philosophically dangerous, but I just read that it is also medically dangerous. Uh, I guess in a hospital recently, uh, someone appeared in the emergency room, I think it was, and uh, they thought that this person wrote down that they were a man. So they thought that this obese man was having this issue, this problem, and they were treating him for it and everything. And it turns out that that person identified as a man, but was actually a woman, and the person's problem was, is they were pregnant, and they were going to have, the baby was on the way, but because the medical people did not know about it, uh, the baby died, and they would have known exactly what was going on, they would have been able to treat it correctly, and from what I understand, certain medicines, certain medications, certain treatments work differently on men and women, so it's kind of dangerous to be reassigning and changing all these things, and it hasn't happened in the past like this, but they're just going all out to try to make it happen now. And it's going to have ramifications for our society. It's going to affect our children and our schools and the way that we live amongst each other. So we have to figure out a way to uh, show Christ's love and live in this world and uh, still make it work. So uh, anyway, so God saw that there was a need. Uh, Genesis 2.21, the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out of took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man at last the man exclaimed this is this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh she will be called woman because she was taken from man this explains why a man leaves his father and mother it is joined to his wife and the two are united into one the two become one flesh so jesus When talking to the Pharisees said, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So God joins a man and woman together. There's nothing in scripture that shows God joins a man and a man or a woman and a woman together. So biblical marriage is one man, one woman being joined together in holy matrimony for their lifetime. Malachi 2.14, you ask, why it is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth you have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of the marriage covenant. So, God cares about marriage. God cares about this relationship between the man and the woman. God intended for them to come together, for them to come together to uh, be more effective than they could be on their own, to bring children into the world, to be part of society. Uh, it worked. It's supposed to work anyway. And God's perfect plan. Sin came into the world. And sometimes our perfect marriage relationships have all sorts of sin problems. Selfishness, abuse, unfaithfulness, all sorts of things lead people to divorce. And that's a topic for another day. But Mark 10, 5 Jesus responded, God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So Jesus uh, reaffirmed marriage. And I'm preaching to the choir because I know that you all know this. But I want to just reaffirm that and mention that. So number two, biblical marriage is an equal commitment between the man and the woman. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is a lot of love. Husbands are supposed to do everything that they can to provide for their wives, to care for their wives, to love their wives. Uh, The wife wants to follow the husband's spiritual leadership. Uh, That's a perfect marriage. That's the way that it's supposed to be. Uh, Sometimes it's broken. Sometimes a lot of marriages need help. But husbands are supposed to love their wives. Uh, Ephesians 5.33, Each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. On Right Now Media, uh, there's a video series called Love and Respect, and it talks about that, about uh, how a husband can love his wife and how a wife can respect her husband and how that all works out. And it's really great information. It's very boring to watch because they're just sitting in a circle talking. But you can use Right Now Media and turn it into audio mode on your phone or portable de- device, and then you can listen to it like an audiobook. But the information's great. Uh, it's just boring to watch. But um, number three, biblical marriage is important physically. So God blessed them. Genesis one twenty-eight. God blessed them and said to them, "Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground." So it was God's plan that man and woman would come to, man and woman would come together. Husband and wife would come together and have children. Would have godly children. Would uh, they would grow up in families and it would be good. And in the family structure, which sometimes is broken too, you have, you know, grandparents that help and uh, cousins that help and people that come together to to help as the family unit. Sometimes we're so far moved away from our biological family that the church needs to step in and help and do what they can for that. 1 Corinthians 7, 4, uh, the wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other. So, If you read on a little more, it says that you should come together so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So there's supposed to be a safety net there. You're supposed to have, the husband and wife are supposed to have each other to provide for each other's needs. So there's no temptation for an affair, no temptation to step outside the bounds of marriage, no temptation uh, in the physical or thought life that God has a plan for those two, husband and wife, to be together and provide for each other. The Bible also talks about a different kind of desire, shameful desires, in Romans 1.24. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires, even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relationships with women, relations with women, burned with lust for each other, men did shameful things with other men. So here, as many parts of the Old Testament too are saying that God doesn't approve of this. This wasn't God's original design. This isn't a good thing. And no matter what they do, it's not going to make it right. There's no way to turn the shameful desire into a godly thing, into a right thing, no matter what they think or what they do. And I can name or show you commentaries from people I don't agree with that say, oh, that doesn't mean what you think it means. No, that meant that there was this cultural God back in Roman times, and they weren't supposed to pursue that. So, But that doesn't, that's not really saying anything about gay people or lesbian people. That's not what that means at all. And on everything that you stand on in the Bible, everything you believe, there's somebody out there that's going to come alongside and say, oh, that's not what that means. Second Timothy three. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. And just about for everything that you stand on and believe, there's somebody out there saying, oh, that's not what that means. Oh, the Bible's really old. Oh, there's errors in the Bible. Uh, Look at the Bible, uh, what is it, Handbook of Bible Difficulties, and it explains why sometimes it appears that uh, there's errors. But, I mean, look at the Bible's effectiveness over thousands of years in people's lives and how it's changing people's lives. How people are coming into uh, life-changing relationships with Jesus Christ through the Bible. The Bible is powerful and effective. And sometimes, when you have questions or wonder what exactly does this mean, uh, you can often find the answer. There are some passages where we don't really even know what it means. Uh, you know, there's just lots of um, questions. No one has. No one knows for sure. There's lots of arguments over things. But it's very clear that God. Created marriage to be between a man and a woman, and that's the a foundation of our society. Biblical marriage is important spiritually. Number four, biblical marriage is important spiritually. So Malachi two fifteen has not the one God made you. You belong to Him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? God the offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. So. You grow together, hopefully, a husband and wife grow together in Christ. They pray together. They raise godly children. They get involved in the church. They get involved uh, in sharing their faith with others. It's a physical union and it's a spiritual union. And hopefully you're both growing in Christ in a Christian relationship. That's why it's best. That's why you shouldn't uh, marry a non-Christian. If you do, you should stay in that marriage as long as they'll have you. But um, marriage, marriage is a spiritual thing. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7.14, For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, just as it is they are holy. Which is a weird verse, but what it's saying is that the unbelieving husband is when influenced by his wife, is set apart to God. Doesn't mean that they're necessarily saved, but it means that they are on the path, on the road to Uh, right relationship with christ because you're in there you're that sanctifying influence you're you're that set apart influence to help them along that way and if you bail out if you leave that unbelieving person just because they're an unbeliever i mean your unbelieving spouse could say you know i hate your christianity i hate you i never want to see you again get out of here and the bible says well if you're abandoned then by your unbelieving uh, unbelieving spouse you're i guess you're free to go um but the marriage guide here in first corinthians 7 wanted to make it So that somebody didn't say, you know what, I'm bored with this person. I'm going to divorce them and get somebody else. That's not what God intended and often it leads to bigger troubles. So number five, biblical singleness might be best. And I know that people want to have friends and sometimes they're lonely and they they think that, you know, oh, it'd just be great to have somebody. But sometimes marriage isn't necessarily the answer to not feeling lonely because I know a lot of people are married and they still feel lonely. So that's not the solution for that. Um, 1 Corinthians seven eight, I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it is better to stay unmarried, just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. So, are you that person that's not drawn to that? That doesn't feel that way? That doesn't have that need? Because if you're that person, then it's better for you not to be married. That's a better gift. 1 Corinthians 7:32. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please Him, but a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit, but a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. So I'm going to show you a video in just a, a second here, but I wanted to read this list of how we're supposed to deal Uh, with others in this society. So uh, Kevin DeYoung wrote this back in 2012, but how the church should speak to our culture about homosexuality. He says, Uh, there's different subgroups in the world. It all depends on which group we're addressing. For instance, I thought this was really helpful. If we are speaking to cultural elites who despise us in our beliefs, we want to be bold and courageous. If we are speaking to strugglers who fight against same-sex attraction, We want to be patient and sympathetic. If we are speaking to sufferers who have been mistreated by the church, we want to be apologetic and humble. If we are speaking to shaky Christians who seem ready to compromise the faith for society's approval, we want to be persuasive and persistent. If we are speaking to liberal Christians who have deviated from the truth once delivered for the saints, we want to be serious. If we are speaking to gays and lesbians who live as the scriptures would not have them live, we want to be winsome and straightforward. If we are speaking to belligerent Christians who hate or fear homosexuals, we want to be upset and disappointed with them in the way that they treat others. I thought that was really good. So, here's two video clips that will help you.
0: You know, today's world is so different because even at a very young age, kids begin struggling with the issues of, well, homosexuality, you know, gender confusion. Here's the deal. There's about 1.5 to 2% of our population is homosexual. But today's young person, there's at least 10% who sometime between a very young age and say 25 struggle with what we call gender identity confusion. Well, one of the reasons is because parents have never really helped them think through some of those issues. And frankly, we're not going to help them think through the issues if we just preach and lecture at them. Today's young person needs us to talk and listen. You know, listening is the language of love. And then unashamedly give them a biblical answer to their sexuality. But a lot of the kids are confused today. And I think their confusion is partly our fault. I don't know that we've done a good job in the church. And I know we haven't done a good job at home. And from the media, they're getting so many different, you know, uh, angles and so many different philosophies. So in the family, investigate it, talk about it talk, 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 and then again, look at what the scripture has to say. It's not always gonna be quote unquote politically correct, but we're trying to teach our kids to have biblical values with this subject.
3: I moved to Los Angeles, pretty much seeking fame and fortune. I had some success at acting and some success at writing. It ultimately wasn't enough to sustain me, so I kind of fell into set design. And um, that's what I do now. For a while, it was fulfilling, but I always felt it wasn't enough. Like I wanted to do, I wanted to be kind of bigger and do bigger things. And I wanted to be the photographer instead of the set designer. And like I wanted my name to be bigger on the magazine or whatever, I felt Like I was just constantly striving to do something that people would recognize and to make my mark and to get affirmation. And my peers were all super successful in Hollywood. And so I wanted, I always was striving to kind of keep up with them. I just felt if I got that, then that would fulfill me. And that would fill that void in me. I also pursued relationships with guys and I pursued those to fill that void as well. I always thought with, with each guy, I thought, okay, this is gonna be the one, this is gonna be the person that saves me and makes me happy, and this is like, gonna give me meaning in life and purpose, and of course, they all failed. All the things that I was pursuing were not filling me, where they weren't fulfilling anything. I never thought about God. I just kind of thought, it, this is, God is a fairy tale. It's all a fairy tale, and it's not real. I was at a coffee shop in Los Angeles and I saw a group of people reading Bibles. It kind of piqued my interest and I was with a friend and um, everyone got up and left except this one person and we turned around and started chatting with him. He explained his faith and the gospel really well to me. This person I met at this coffee shop invited me to his church I had no idea what I was getting into. And I walked into this church and I sat down, and Pastor Tim started preaching on Romans 7. And I just remember um, being blown away by everything he was saying. I was just, I remember thinking that every word was truth. It was kind of a Saul to Paul conversion. Like, I just, God just revealed Jesus was real. The Bible was real, heaven was real, the resurrection was real, everything was real. I just, in that moment, I knew everything was absolutely truth. And I, I, just, I just remember that day just being so filled with, I mean, so many emotions, but one just like was, I know the meaning of life now. Like, this is crazy. Like, I know the meaning of life and I can't believe it. Like, everyone's pursuing the meaning of life and I know it. I was actually working on a shoot, so I went immediately on Monday back to work. I was so full of joy that I just told everyone on, the sh- on every shoot I was working on, I was like, I just met Jesus Christ and it's, he's real and it's amazing and I'm a Christian. And a lot of people were very surprised. I suddenly saw set design as just a total blessing because I'm on different sets like every week. I'm exposed to a lot of different people and I just find that it's, it's a, just a great, It's just a great place to to share the gospel. When I talk to people who struggle with homosexuality and I share the gospel with them, it can be difficult, but what I find is interesting is they can never say you haven't been in my shoes because I've been in their shoes. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I know exactly what you are thinking and what you feel because I was in the exact same situation. Like, I thought that being gay was absolutely who I was, like, from the core of my being. I believed that who, that's who I was. And then after my conversion, my identity just completely changed, and my identity was in Christ. I don't care if I never get to be in a relationship again with someone on this earth, and have a romantic relationship, and be with another person. Like, I have a relationship with the king of the universe, and nothing compares to that. And so I don't, I don't ever feel that it's unfair. I don't feel like I'm being kind of cheated out of something. I just feel absolutely the opposite. I feel like it's, it's amazing grace that I get to know the God of the universe and have a relationship with him.
1: <clears throat> All the stuff I'm showing you is on the Right Now Media service we offer you. So I've taken too much of your time, but bear with me just a little more. Okay, so what if the Bible study group would have rejected that guy because they would have sized him up and said, oh, you don't belong with us. Instead, they reached out to him and look where he is now. What if we reject people that we work with or what if we reject our our family members uh, there's many people that struggle with same sex attractions, but it doesn 't mean that they have to give in to that it doesn 't mean that they have to fall into sin because it 's not a sin to be tempted it 's a sin to give into temptation. But we need to have the mindset that we are here to reach people for Christ. We are here to share Jesus with whoever. Uh, God will bring across our path. Whoever will listen, whatever their life condition. 1 Corinthians 6.11, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Then it says some of you were like that but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And how many people could we fill these chairs with that we know of that are in these situations that do these kinds of things that we need to reach out to in love instead of rejecting and pushing away? What if we could be used by God to help change not only a person's life, but even what culture thinks about God and the relationships between a man and a woman? So, um, I'm out of time, but uh, Romans 12:1 and 2 talks about being transformed by the renewing of our mind and not conformed to the world. And as we think about that, as our society does everything that it can to try to uh, push things upon us that we might not agree with, we can push back in a loving and caring way and help these people to find a right relationship with the Lord and to grow in that. Because we're not the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit will work upon them and they may hear scripture and then say, I need to change. We didn't yell at them and say, you need to change, but instead they're like, I want to change, I need to change, and the Holy Spirit helps make that change, and the Holy Spirit uses us to proclaim the message. So Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I've spoken fast and said a lot, and I hope that I did it some justice, but Lord, I pray that the people in this church will reach out in love to people that are somewhere in the process of finding you and living for you, Uh, people that we might not agree with, people that... um, are in situations that uh, we wouldn't want to be in or our children be in. But Lord, help us to teach our children to reach out to those people and see us as missionaries to a lost world, as uh, uh, servants in the hands of a living God. So Lord, we pray you'd help us in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening. We invite you to visit River Rock Church 10 a.m. Sundays at 330 South Market Street in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. You can connect with us, find resources to help you grow in your faith, give online to support this ministry, and share your prayer requests with us at riverrockchurch.com. May God bless you. Share Jesus with others
1: this week.